It's a privilege uh, when Pastor Jared came and said, hey, I would, uh, would love it if you'd perfectly consider filling in, and, and so here we are. Two weeks ago, what did Pastor Jared teach us on? How about unsinkable? Unsinkable what? Faith. Unsinkable faith. Do you remember any of the points? I won't quote them, but do you remember any of them, or just remember the unsinkable faith part? Okay, well, that works. The unsinkable faith part, it's we had unsinkable faith so that we could weather the storms of life and the things that come our way as Christians. What about last week? What did Pastor Jared share on last week? It's Pentecost Sunday. That's a hint. So what did he share on? He showed on the Holy Spirit. What did he share about the Holy Spirit? Was the Holy Spirit not given to empower, to baptize us for works of service so that we would have a more powerful witness? Would that be correct? Okay, very good. So today I'd like to talk to you about how the Holy Spirit empowers our faith so that our witness encourages others in our faith. So today we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk about witness. And go ahead and throw the first slide up there, Luke, and then I'll explain why we're there. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor. I'll say it like you mean it. Hey, neighbor. Are you a chameleon? chameleon? People are going, what's a chameleon? I'll explain that one in just a second. I find that one of the biggest struggles in our Christian walk happens to simply revolve around our faith and our witness. Our faith is what we believe. Our witness is what others see. And unfortunately, sometimes in Team Jesus, it's not a new problem. What we say... Those are our beliefs, our creeds, and what we do are two entirely different things. And I'd like to address that today from God's word. So we'll be speaking about faith and we'll be speaking about witness. Now, Paul addressed this struggle in his letter to the church at Corinthians. Now, we have the benefit today of the Bible. We didn't have it at the time of 55 AD. We had a new church that had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the letter of Corinthians was written about 55 AD, which would have put it 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's a young church, Christian brothers and sisters from Corinth, that had some of the same problems that we have today. It's just there's a 2,000-year difference between when they were struggling with the same things we're struggling with today, faith and our witness. They were surrounded by corruption, I don't think there's a politician one. Nope, I'll just behave myself with that one. They were surrounded by corruption and sin just like us. They felt the pressure to blend in and to try to fit in just like us. They had freedom in Christ. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. They hadn't written it yet that particular time, but they were certainly practicing it. What would that mean, that all things are permissible, but not all things are practical? Just like them, in light of our faith, we are witnesses. And how we view our idols in our lives, just like they did 2,000 years ago, our political views, just like they did 2,000 years ago, In light of our faith, questions about marriage, questions about uh, identity, that's a big topic today, my identity. 
and to put questions to rest, identify as a Christian. I'd like to identify as Warren Buffett, but first and most, utmost, I identify as a Christian. There were questions about sexuality. There were more theological questions than they had answers, because remember, they didn't have the benefit of the Bible at that time. They had had Paul, it was Paul's second missionary journey that the church in Corinth was planted, and they didn't have version. they didn't have Bible Gateway, they didn't have the King James. Those things just didn't exist. They had some of the writings of the prophets, but they had a lot of the teachings that hopefully someone was smart enough to write down, and they had questions, because they had, as a new church, all kinds of issues because their faith and their witness was being torn apart by their immorality and also torn apart by their spiritual immaturity. So today we want to look at, just like the church at Corinth, we're being tested. In 1 Peter 1.7, it says that our faith, being like pure gold, has been put in the crucible of life. And how do you refine gold? Well, the ring on my finger didn't start out looking like that. It was an ore in the ground that they put in a, a furnace, and they kept heating it, and they kept heating it. And eventually, they ended up with gold pure enough to form into the shape of a ring. Well, just like that, as Christians, we have our faith being worked on. And um, let's not be like the Corinthians, because if we read, and we'll look at that today, they were failing the test. Now, it would be okay if we didn't identify as Team Jesus, if we didn't identify as Christians, if we didn't identify as I'm a follower, I'm a disciple, I am a believer. We could just say, hey, we could eat, drink, be merry, and do whatever we wanted to do. But the minute that you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I have given my life to Christ, and there's a mandate on our lives that require us to live a slightly different life. In fact, it's drastically different than people who are not Christians. As Christians, you're born from above, and you're being changed from within. Born from above, but changed from within. Being conformed, not into the likeness of the world, not being conformed to the likeness of the assemblies, not being conformed to the likeness of City Beat Church, but being conformed in the image of Christ. Our values and our beliefs should confront the world and its beliefs. If you're not sure, now here again, this is something I learned a long time ago, and I'll just share it the way that I learned it. I wasn't always a, a very good reader. In fact, I didn't pay attention a lot through school. Sounds like my son. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I should behave myself. Um, if you think that you're having a hard time with reading scriptures or, or spiritual books or spiritual studies and whatnot, well, it's easy to, to, to practice this. Think of what the world would do. How would the world answer problems about morality? How would the world pro answer problems about business? How would the world answer any question that you have? And I can assure you, if you do the exact opposite, you'll be somewhere in the ballpark of a Christian principle. Because unfortunately, the world usually does the absolute 180 degree opposite of what we do as Christians. Moving on, sorry about that. We're always, we'll clash, we will always be rejected. Our morals and our attitudes and beliefs uh, to this lost world as Christian disciples and followers of Christ, we shouldn't blend in. We shouldn't blend in. Unfortunately, the Corinthians had that problem 2,000 years ago. They had heard the message of the gospel. They had had the teachings of Paul firsthand and some of the other uh, individuals in Paul's circle of influence. And yet, 
They were blending in. We're in the world, not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. We're responsible to the king first and utmost. We will always, as Christians, be responsible to the king and then to his kingdom and to his agenda and his will. And again, the reminder of never to blend in. That's why I have behind me, are you a chameleon? The Corinthians didn't have the benefit of, again, all of the things that are afforded to us today. Sound teaching from Pastor Jared, Bible Gateway, version. I mean, uh, I know that a lot of us like a, the old feel of a, a real Bible that has printed pages and words. You are still without excuse. The word of God has been translated into so many languages on your phone and in print. There are so many great, sound, solid Bible scholars and teachers on the internet, on YouTube. Uh, we are without excuse excuse. They didn't have any of that in the church at Corinth, and yet they were smart enough to write the Apostle Paul a letter. Now, I know sometimes we think, well, the Bible just all of a sudden was printed and existed. Well, this particular letter to Corinth is a response from an old-fashioned letter. Most of the folks in the crowd this morning are used to instant messaging. They're used to texting. They're used to emails. But back in the caveman days, we used to take out paper. We used to take an ink pen that had little lines on the paper because no one could really write straight across and evenly. And we would write, Dear Logan, Today, it is sunny in the state of Maryland. How are things going with you? And then we would put it in an envelope, we would write an address on it, and hopefully you wrote it legibly enough because it wasn't scanned by a machine. It was given to a human being who then would go, Logan, Lambert, uh, 1234 Anywhere Street, uh, Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And it would take weeks to get there. And then you would anxiously wait for the letter to come back to you. And then he would going... Life is good. And then you go, oh, wow. And then you would write another letter. And then, so that's how this, this, this first Corinthians letter did not just show up. Paul didn't sit down one day and go, I think I'll write the church at Corinth a letter. They had questions concerning their witness and their faith. So they asked Paul, hey, we would like you to kind of help us out. We have questions like, what's expected of a Christian believer? I think that that's true today, even though we now have the benefit of first Corinthians in a Bible or on a Bible app. His letter tells us what to do. His letter tells us what not to do, what's expected. He gives us a biblical approach to problem solving. The new church had problems. They were in Corinth. They were Gentile believers. They weren't Jews that had given their lives to Christ. They were Gentile believers that heard the gospel message, and they, uh, they were very immoral. Uh, every type of sexual and crazy sin that you could imagine was going on not just outside the church, but in the church. And that kind of information, remember, our witness, that information got back to Paul and was also known. Again, what we say and what we do sometimes are two entirely different things. He highlights biblical values. And he gives us a guide how to take our lives as members of Team Jesus and how to take our actions so that we are the best witness and our faith also be, represents what we say and what we do. So next slide, please. Remember the long letter to Logan. Logan, how are you? You know, nowadays we send little one sentence. In fact, we don't even use words anymore. We have, you know, O-O-M or O-O-W on my way. You know, we have LOL, you know, and all these other little short anacronyms. Well, back in the day, they would take and write these really long and lengthy letters. 
That's the word and wisdom from the Apostle Paul after 16 pages of response. Now, we learn to read with the chapters in the verse, but this is one long letter. Hey, Paul, we're having problems with immorality. Hey, Paul, we're having problems with people in leadership. Then one person says we follow Paul. One person says we follow Apollos, and we're not sure who to follow. And oh, by the way, we are immoral, and we understand that. What do we do about that? And then it goes on to say, well, we're not really sure about these spiritual gifts. And so he addresses that, and he, he, that's chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And then he says, we're not really sure how to operate in these gifts. So he writes 1 Corinthians 13, tells them how to operate within those gifts. And then he, now, well, we're not sure what a typical church service should look like. Well, we had worship. That's biblical. That's 1 Corinthians 14. We're having a word, a teaching, and there might be someone that gives a prophetic word. That's also biblical in 1 Corinthians. And he ends the letter with this statement that's on the, wor- on the wall. So I'm hoping and prayerfully believing that today, if you're struggling with your witness and if you're struggling with your faith, Paul's charge is simple. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. He answers all their questions. He uh, concludes his letter with this, and he's talking about the areas of faith and witness. He says we're not to compromise sound teachings that we received. In fact, he's reinforcing it with his letter, and he gives us instructions today of not blending in. Well, so far we're with you, Steve, but that whole chameleon thing we just don't get. I was thinking about this for just a second. A chameleon is a lizard, and he's an interesting lizard, unlike a Komodo dragon or unlike a monitor lizard or unlike an iguana. A chameleon, if you put him in a tank with brown wood chips and brown grass, guess what color he turns? Brown. If you put him in a bright neon yellow tank. No, he doesn't turn bright neon yellow, but if you put him in something that was grass green, he would pretty much come close to grass green. And that's that whole idea of blending in. And I think that that really has been the problem with church, uh, the Teen Jesus folks since before scriptures were ever written. In fact, even before Jesus came, our Old Testament brothers and sisters struggled with their faith and struggled with their witness. So let's look at some of the opportunities we have here of not blending in. This morning, I put to myself that same question. Am I a chameleon? Are you a chameleon? Are the, is the church corporate a chameleon? Are we blending in? Are we, have we become so seeker-friendly as a church because we want everybody to be included? And I do want everyone to be saved, but we should never, ever, ever compromise the gospel. We should never, ever, ever compromise the word of God. We should never, ever, ever, as our identity of Christians, ever do things or say things that put Team Jesus in the light that makes people wonder, well, you're all just a bunch of hypocrites because what you say and what you do are two entirely different things. And I don't know, that's a problem they had then. That's a problem that we still have today. And generally, here's the easiest way to handle that. When someone says all Christians are hypocrites, just apologize on behalf of Team Jesus. I am too. I wish that all the things that I said lined up with all the things that I do, but God's not done with me yet. It's not how I've started. It's how I finish. So this morning, let's look at a couple of things that will help us along the way to stand firm, be on guard, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. First slide, my young son. Be on guard. Be on guard? Yes, be on guard. Constantly, see, if you read, now here again, 
We're not going to go too many other places in the scripture. We're just going to use the book of 1 Corinthians to interpret 1 Corinthians. So if this is what Paul says after the end of 16 pages of 1 Corinthians, his first statement is to be on guard. Well, clearly the answer to be on guard for what is found in those first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians. Does that make sense? Okay, so be on guard first and utmost for spiritual enemies. You do have an enemy. We have Satan. Now we have the benefit of this scripture. Satan roams around looking for someone to have lunch. In fact, Satan in John 10.10 comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we have a spiritual enemy, which reminds me then that we need to practice Ephesians 4. If we need to be on guard, then please do not walk out of your house at all, not fully dressed and ready for battle. Not in your beautiful sundress, not in your nice jeans and pullover shirt, or not in your casual t-shirt. Be on guard and be battle-dressed according to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, I'm sorry, dressed with the preparation of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Don't go out the door unless you're ready to do battle. That's the problem with Team Jesus now. That was the problem with Team Jesus then. And I know people are going, well, I'm not too sure. No, trust me. The reason, they didn't have the benefit that we have now. Now we have some of Paul's other letters written to other churches that had questions. And now we know that we should be dressed and be on guard, but then they didn't. Why? Doesn't Satan use things like division? If you read in... I think it's chapter four of 1 Corinthians. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. He was trying to say, hey, let's not division separate us. Well, I like the new age style of teaching. I like the old age style of teaching. I like new hymns. I like old hymns. I don't like hymns at all. Don't let anything divide us as Christians. How about pride? Look what I have done. It really doesn't matter. I, am, I, I have found that the reason that God uses Steve Kahn is because I'm just willing to be his servant. There's nothing special about me. I graduated 596 out of a class of 500, and I think it's just because the teachers didn't want to deal with me for another year. It's the truth. But the reality simply is this, that when... We're looking at our pride. Look, I, I'm, I'm just a servant of the Most High God. Whatever it takes to promote the kingdom, to promote the king, I'm willing to do whatever as long as it's in God's word and it doesn't make Team Jesus look foolish or silly. He said, be on guard where your faith and your uh, witness is concerned about disorder. Uh, if there, uh, we got, well, God give me wisdom ahead. I'm gonna leave that one alone. I won't chase the rabbit, I'm, I apologize. How about bad theology? See, we didn't have the, the written word that we have today. And then, of course, not only do we have bad theology then and we have bad theology now, sometimes we have bad teachers. They're well-intentioned, but they're not taking the word and rightly dividing it. Be on guard. Next slide, please. Stand firm. In fact, it goes on to say we have the benefit now of Ephesians 6. I wish that the church in Corinth had the benefit of Ephesians 6. After you have done all these things, you're dressed and ready for battle, and you've prayed and made supplications, the word of God says to stand. Not only with the good news, not only with the good news that God wants to be relational, but also that he, we need to make him known and the benefit of God's word. So we're standing firm in its teachings. And it's not a question of, and I've learned this one, and I'll just share it the way I learned it. Do I agree with everything that's in the scripture? Well, I'll be right up front. Some of it doesn't make sense to me. 
but you know what? I'm not going to allow what I don't understand, the fact that if God's foolishness, according to his own word, is wiser than the wisdom of men, guess what I'm going to do? If it says this is how you should conduct your household, this is how you should conduct your business, this is how you should conduct your personal life, this is how you should conduct your private life, this is how you should, whatever it says, I'm going to do what it says. Even if I don't figure it out, I've discovered this. If I do what God says, I get God's results. And that's a tough one sometimes. It is. It's hard. See, we have the benefit of God's word today, which in some cases makes things a little easier. But stand firm in its teachings. Stand firm in its teachings. And I'll be right up front. My flesh doesn't always like to do what God's word says, but I remember what God's word says about my flesh. My body, even though my spirit has been renewed, although my soul has been revived from death to life, my body, my physical flesh will always be contrary to the things that God wants to do. So I just tell my body, get over it. This is what we're doing. And if you don't like it, God's word is dictating how this thing goes. And there are days that me and my flesh have better days than others, but it doesn't control me like it used to. Stand firm in your witness. See, here again, back to Uh, When Jesus was here on earth, he said, you will be my witnesses. Now, I know that we think, well, that means that we should be able to quote John 3, 16 and 17. We should be able to quote Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23. That's not exactly what he was meaning. The witnesses is we remember, I remember the old Logan. I remember the old Donna. I wish you could have remembered the old Steve. It's not how we start. It's what God does with us and how we are moved along in the growing and the maturing process, standing firm in our witness. What we say needs to line up with what we do because the word of God declares this. You'll be known by your fruit, right? Isn't that one of Paul's great teachings? Again, another letter written to another church. We'll be known by our fruit. Well, the reality is, is if what you're saying doesn't line up with what you're doing, according to the word of God, what you're doing is really the truth coming from you, not necessarily God's truth, but it's truth that's coming from you. Standing firm in your witness. Your deeds, what you do, need to line up with your creeds, what you say. And that really is the biggest killer with Team Jesus. And I won't browbeat us to death. I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm just saying let's be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit of God uses each and every one of us in the circle of influence with which God has given us. Or God's word would, be, uh, would not be uh, real. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind at this very moment is Ephesians 2.10 that says that before the foundations of the world were formed, God had plans for Logan. God had plans for Rachel in this particular time, at this particular location. Let's be open to that. Because most people who don't have a relationship with Jesus don't come to church The church is not this building. It's a nice building, and it's probably one of the best makeovers this 100-year-old-plus building has ever had. But the church is not the building. The church is you, and the church is you, and the church is you back there, Gary, and the church is me. And we shouldn't have to wear a cute little T-shirt that identifies us with Team Jesus. They are nice. We shouldn't have to wear a cute hat unless you're working in the soup kitchen and don't like to do hairnets. You can wear a hat, but that still should not be the thing that identifies us in our relationship with Christ or a bracelet or anything else. What should identify us is the actions that people go, there's something different about that guy. I just don't get it. What is, and then you have the opportunity to reaffirm and confirm your convictions and beliefs with this individual. Does that make sense? 
Amen. Another hour and a half to go. Just kidding. Be courageous. And here's, I think, if, if there ever was a part in these five things that Paul told us to do, this is probably the hardest one that the church at Corinth failed in and we fail in today. Be courageous about your convictions and beliefs. Isn't it amazing when you're in a group of people and they say, uh, let's steal a cookie. I'm just, you know, something off the top of me. Let's steal a cookie. And then Logan says, we don't steal. If he wouldn't have said anything, guess what we would have done? Probably as a whole, the group, we would have stolen the cookie. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that work? I mean, um, let's not do the speed limit. I'll leave that one alone. Come on, that's part of your witness. Be, be courageous about your convictions, your personal ones, but even more so the ones that are in the word of God. People need to see. He said we were living epistles. It doesn't mean that it's because you and I breathe. Yes, that makes us living. That t- interpretation of that passage means that it's a living epistle because we're living out loud the word, the truth, and the teachings that we've received. People can see that. Again, you're... Deeds and your creeds are lining up. How about being courageous in your beliefs? Well, you know, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want anyone to to feel bad or, you know, we want everyone to be, trust me, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I mean, John 3, 17, if you're going to do 16, you need to do something. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn. He was sent to save. But you have to speak your beliefs in a way that they get it. So I suggest you practice Ephesians 4. The sign of a maturing Christian is being able to speak the truth and speak it in love. And since I'm picking on you, I'll pick on you again. We'll just pretend that Logan doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Hey, Logan, you're a great guy. You're a great dad. You're a great father. But Logan... You don't have Christ in your heart. And look how hard it is, you know, how you're struggling and those kind of speaking the truth in love or the lifestyle that you used to live. I remember those conversations. Will not end well. Will not end well. That's speaking the truth in love. But unfortunately, a lot of times, Team Jesus would rather blend in and fit in than speak the truth in love. And there's a lost world out there that needs us to be bold, needs us to be courageous in our faith and in our beliefs. Don't be afraid to deal with problems. The church at Corinth, can you imagine this huge group of people that didn't have the benefit of of trained Bible students? Or, I mean, I get the Holy Spirit as our teacher and our guide, but there weren't that many like pastors or, or teachers to go around. So here they are trying to deal with all the fun and excitement. They were a very carnal, wild party like group. And yet nobody wanted to be brave enough to deal with the problems. You're going to have problems in a church. You're going to, as you introduce new people that still have that old fallen lifestyle, you need to be able to say, well, you might have been able to do that when you were not a member of Team Jesus, but you can't do that now because it compromises your witness. Make sense? How about church life? See, we're called to work together, to be courageous for one another. And there are times that maybe my brother's not as strong as he was last week. Well, hey, I'll come up alongside and I'll help bolster him or her up until maybe next week they're feeling a little bit stronger. Who knows? Next week might be my week that I need to be bolstered and and supported by one of my brothers and sisters. Now, one of the translations, next slide, please. 
It says, be strong. This comes along the lines of what Pastor Jared was sharing last week. We can't do this in our own strength. You can be strong physically, but for so long. But the strength, I believe that even though Paul hadn't written it yet, he did allude to the fact that there were spiritual gifts. This was some 20 years after the baptism of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church in the upper room. Pastor Jared spoke about how the Holy Spirit can empower us to accomplish God's will and his plan. One of the things that I, I see in and, and just a short time in walking with Christ, that if Jesus said that I want you to stay in Jerusalem, Charles, until you've been endued with power, then clearly there must be something to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. On our best days, we may have the strength. On our best days, we might have the wisdom. On our best days, we might have the insight or whatever it else is needed to accomplish that day's task. Not just the spiritual ones, but even the natural ones. Just being a parent, especially with a newborn, you need that. Holy Spirit strength to make it through some of those sleep-deprived days. Jesus said, don't leave home without it. His last admonition, next slide. All you need is love. Now, here's probably something, and, and I don't know how to say it. I know we're on, uh, on the camera. I'll try to look up, but I don't want to look. We have an election time coming again in the fall, and my hope and prayer is that Team Jesus will understand that the admonition from Paul was to do everything in love, because God loves politicians. Some of the politicians have a relationship with Christ, and some of them don't, but it's the first commandment of Jesus. He says, love God, love your heavenly Father, and then love your neighbor likewise. Paul goes on to say, hey, I want you to love. Uh, it, that's, remember 1 Corinthians 13? It's, it's a great wedding chapter, but that's not why he wrote it. What he, what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks to the characteristics and attributes of our Heavenly Father. He hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. I mean, those are attributes that no matter what you do, it has to be done because when he got to the end of it, your love always protects. But when he got to the end, he says, if you do anything, if I, and I'll pick on me, if I run the soup kitchen, but it's not done out of a motivation of love, he says, you sound like this noisy little bell. It's, you know, just this annoying, scratchy finger on the chalkboard kind of thing. I believe with all my heart that it's the love that he spoke of that makes us different as Team Jesus members than any other group and any other religion out there. And I would rather err on the side of loving and then to be concerned about what someone else thinks or what someone else does. Um, and again, these are things that, you know, the, the love is not something that you can do on your own. The love is something that has to be generated by the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we must never compromise the gospel or our Christian beliefs or values. I know it's our fallen nature to want to do it just the easy way or take the easy way out to fit in, to adapt. I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to get by at the end of the day, be able to lay my head down on a pillow kind of thing. But that's not what God's called us to do. Because we have this fallen nature, the truth is, is that it really ought to be our desire to belong to God's family with a sense of self-worth 
and to want to be like Christ in everything that we do to put our, our faith and our witness. My faith is in God's word and my witness is that how do I appear? How do I come across to people who not only are Christians, but more importantly, people that are not Christians? I and you should never blend in. If we blend in, then we're no better than the chameleon. I want to encourage you today to continually to invite, as Pastor did last week, to invite the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to direct, to empower, to give you all the things that you lack so that our faith through Christ is a solid witness. There, this world, we still have lost and dying people every day. And of course, being in the Carrollton Ridge neighborhood, we see that probably more so than someone out in the suburbs. And I don't know, I think a lot of times I hear people say, well, things are so crazy. Things are so, they're just, it just seems like everything is falling apart. I like to borrow something I learned from a friend a few years ago. Things aren't falling apart. Things are falling into place. If you read the scriptures, I mean, God clearly is building his church with imperfect people but they love Jesus and they have Christ on the inside. That's the neat thing. The more cracks I believe you have in your pot, the more that God wants to use you because that speaks to God's strength. That speaks to God's wisdom. That speaks to God's direction, God's empowerment. All the things that we lack, clearly that, again, back to the witness, that has to speak louder than anything that might come out of our mouth. This final thought is witnesses living up to God's standards. Witnesses living up to God's standards. The problem that the church at Corinth had, it wasn't that they didn't have at least limited teaching. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the letter of 1 Corinthians yet. But they had leaders and they had Paul showing them the right way I think what they did was just decide that that really is too hard. And I think that that comes from simply trying to do things in your strength versus yielding, God, I don't have the wisdom. God, I don't have the strength. God, I don't have anything required to do what you've called me to do. Now, that's the cool thing about God. Does, he doesn't ask us to have the equipping. He doesn't ask us to have the strength or the finances or the resources. He just asks, will you be available? Will you stand and allow me to use you to be my hands and to be my feet, to be my salt and to be my light? Will you allow yourself to even maybe be a little foolish on my behalf? Because the reality is, is it's not about you and I. It's about the king and the kingdom and his agenda. And if you look, now we have the benefit. We can look backwards now and we can look at the, the journey through the Old Testament. We can look through the letters written in the Gospels and in our New Testament. We have that benefit now, but that still doesn't let us off the hook of your witness, your witness and your faith. Well, what does that look like? Well, prayerfully in this journey, you figured out that God's foolishness is greater than any of your wisest days. That's in his word, but I figured that one out after. It didn't take me 40 years. I figured that out on the first year of following Christ, that he has a lot more going on than I do. So I think I'm just going to, even if I don't agree, even if I don't like what he's asking me to do, it's not about me anymore. 
It's about his kingdom. And all the stuff that we think is precious, and hear me, I get it, from uh, being a couple to being a parent to having stuff, according to God's word, it's all fleeting that the husband and the wife, you all, they may, we may be beautiful and handsome now, but after 40 or 50 years, you'll be old and gray and wrinkly and hopefully still loved by your spouse. The house that, you, I can't wait to get the house. One of these days, uh, you may, if Jesus should tarry, you may pass on and it'll be left to someone else. And I go, really? They like that house? I don't know. I don't know. All of the, I got money in the bank. Your kids will fight for it after you're gone. I mean, here again, these are things that are natural. We don't want to focus on the things that are natural. We want to focus on the things that are eternal. And I'll leave you with this one thought. Ephesians, not Ephesians, in Matthew 6, Jesus sums it up real simply. You know, that the kingdom of God, the importance of a soul, that, that it really doesn't matter about the stuff. The stuff is nice, and the stuff in some cases is coveted and sought after by us, but the reality is, is that a soul in heaven is far more valuable than any treasure that you could name here on planet Earth at the moment, in the future or the past. And all the things that we're striving for, I get it, continue to make God's kingdom and God's kingdom agenda the first and utmost priority of your life. If he takes care of birds, he takes care of grass, then he'll take care of you. Maybe not in the way that you like to be taken care of, but I can assure you, he does a pretty good job. We see that constantly. And of course, I hear some of your testimonies that God not only provides your needs, but I think he entertains quite a few of our wants as well. But we have to make his kingdom and his kingdom agenda the utmost priority and his will being done through us. And a lot of that still, again, depends upon our witness and our faith. And our belief is that you may have started out and it's a, it's a little rough, but God will continue to work on you and work through you so that ultimately how you started and how you finished is not one and the same. It's a privilege on my end because I'm not the oldest person in the room, but I've known some of you for quite some time. It's been awesome to watch you grow. It's been awesome to watch you mature. And that's something that's been done by the Holy Spirit you can clearly tell that there are those of you that are praying and reading, not just reading what God's word says, but you're practicing what God's word says and doing those things. And that's the greatest witness of all. Because in that instance, what you say and what you do are both one and the same. Amen? Let's pray and we'll call it a day. How about that? Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being your hands and feet. Um, I thank you, God, for Pastors Jared and Ashley and what you have done through them in a continuation of this portion of your vineyard. We pray, God, that in the coming days and weeks, God, that we would take seriously uh, what our faith, the things we believe, and our deeds, the things that we do, God, if they don't line up, oh, Holy Spirit of God, we're not here to condemn. But we pray, God, that we would be reminded that we are the only Bible in some cases that people get to see. And we pray, God, that what we say and what we do line up with your word. And if it doesn't, oh, Holy Spirit of God, give us wisdom and insight to bring our conduct in line with your word. We're thankful, God, that we have the privilege to serve the community of the Carrollton Rich. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, the 21223, what a horrible neighborhood. 
I see it as grace central, Father, that where sin abounds, your grace and your mercy and your provision abounds much more according to your word. So we pray, God, that you would continue to use all of us, God, to speak into each other's lives, to help us to grow, to help us to mature, and to help us, God, to spread your kingdom agenda. We pray, Father, that um, the soul, a human soul, God, that when our guests come into our kitchen, I don't see an addict. God, I see someone's mom, I see someone's dad, I see someone's brother, I see someone's sister, I see an aunt, an uncle, and God, the value of a human soul is of the utmost importance, so I pray, God, that uh, you would use all of us to continue to build your kingdom, that you would use, God, all of the resources that you have blessed us with, God. You have not given us the homes and the bank accounts and all of the things that you've blessed us with just so that we can consume it upon ourselves. Just like it says in the book of Acts, God, that they had all things in common, that we used the stuff that we've given that one of these days, according to your word, will be consumed by fire. God, they use the stuff to promote the kingdom, the king, and the kingdom agenda. We pray, God, that in the coming weeks as the cornerstone is continuing to take shape, as the Furrow Street House, God, is continuing to, to evolve into the ministry that it is, God, that we would do whatever is necessary, God, in the way of providing the finances, in the way of providing bodies, in the way of providing encouragement to those that are doing the leading God, so that your kingdom is furthered and that, God, it would not be said, oh, you kind of remind us of the Corinthian church that um, their words and their deeds didn't line up, that, God, that they would truly be able to say that you clearly have a relationship with Christ because we can see it in the things that you say and the things that you do, that you don't need a T-shirt, that the love that you extended to me when I was unlovable was amazing. We also pray, God, that as we go our separate ways, may we always be on guard where our faith is concerned, God. May we always stand firm where your word is concerned, God. May we not leave the house, not dressed ready for battle. May we be courageous, God. Not obnoxious, but God, may we take a stand. All we have to do is just, this is what God's word says. May we state that boldly as the Holy Spirit empowers us. May we be strong and empowered by the, the strength of the Holy Spirit, God. And God, above all, may we do everything in love. Do everything in love so that your kingdom, God, would be promoted and your agenda would come to bear in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.